0: Rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's JC Sherbert. It's the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. JC Sherbert here with you on December fourteenth, two thousand and twenty. Hope all of you are doing well out there in Gamecockland. Hope you had a wonderful weekend. Lots to get to today, as always, in the world of the Gamecocks. And i um, going to start it off, a little uh, coaching search <clears throat> information. Um, I don't have any real new names to give you. Uh, Tony Morrell of TheBigSpur.com did have uh, a VIP update this morning where he mentioned a couple of guys, but um, we'll see kind, of, um, see kind of how all that goes. Uh, I wanted to talk broadly about it, though and say this, there's going to be names thrown out there uh, by South Carolina media, myself included. Uh, and, you know, we're all part of the 24-7 Sports Network. And a lot of times you're going to see a lot of brushback. And I'll use, you know, Justin Stepp from Arkansas was mentioned today. Uh, South Carolina native from Pillion, Um obviously has done a good job at Arkansas under Chad Morris and under Sam Pittman. Uh, a guy that would make perfect sense to bring on to the staff. Uh, so he's mentioned today, and Arkansas folks come back and say, "Absolutely not." He hadn't even heard from South Carolina. Uh, and look, that's to be expected. And I'm not saying those guys are wrong. Uh, I, I mean, because I've I've heard Steph may want to stay at Arkansas too, just because he may end up being the OC there, and he sees his career path as as, as really, you know, a more open career path to where he wants to be in terms of coordinator. And so, uh, you know, I I think that that's a logical reason for staying in Fayetteville, if you're him. Um, But I'll also say this, you know, it's going to be a situation where uh, because we're right here almost to the early signing period, any name you see mentioned uh, is going to be met with some brushback, um, right or wrong. And uh, certainly I have mad respect for Danny West and – Trey Biddy and everybody that works at our Arkansas site. Those are good dudes. They're professional. They have great sources. Um, you know, no reason to even question, you know, what, uh, what they're saying on that. But, but I'll say that, you know, you're going to see anybody that's a sitting coach somewhere, you're going to see a, uh, a brushback. Just like with Jay Bateman a couple of weeks ago, our North Carolina site comes out with something that says it's wrong or whatever that he's in the mix. Um, at South Carolina and lo and behold, he's still in the mix. I mean, you know, that, that, uh, but, but I was going to defer to them on that report just because, well, what if Jay Bateman doesn't get it or, or what if he doesn't want to come, you know, and I'm, I'm not going to sit there and, you know, fight a Braveheart battle, a Braveheart style battle on the internet with another one of our sites, you know, just because, you know, they're trying to, you know, rally their troops over there on that side. And, um, you know there there is an early signing period coming. If you look at Jay Bateman's commitments, my goodness, he's he's the number one recruiter in the ACC right now, uh, recruiting rankings wise. So, you know, expect some stuff like that to happen. And I'm not saying who's right or who's wrong. Uh, I'm saying that if Tony Morrell or I report that someone's in the mix, they're in the mix. That does not mean they're coming. That means they're in the mix and, and they've been talked to or communicated with through back channels. Uh, and there's someone that's being considered, that doesn't mean it's done. And uh, and I'll tell you this right now. Uh, I knew on Saturday Gus Malzahn was going to get fired at Auburn. Uh, I have people all over the country that I talk to about different things and, you know, pretty good what, what you call sources. You know, some people don't like to use the word sources. I try to use the word contacts whenever I can. But, you know, I knew that on Saturday, and I have not been able to dig anything up on definite definite guys that are in the mix to come to South Carolina outside of Aaron Feld, the strength coach at Oregon. And so, you know, and there's a lot of names, a lot of potential names, but, but no inside track guys, nothing like that. So Shane Beamer, uh, to his credit, has kept a lot of this stuff pretty quiet. And I understand why, because, look, there's a right way to do things and a wrong way to do things. And and what you don't want to do uh, is torpedo somebody's recruiting Uh, with rumors and and something that isn't a done deal. And in some cases, those coaches may want to wait. I mean, Shane Beamer waited. uh, He's going to go to Virginia Tech, you know, from South Carolina. Uh, He waited uh, until, uh, you know, Jedevi and Clowney signed (laughs) on February 14th, and then he took the job. Uh, And and so that's, you know, I kind of can see, since we're so close up to a signing period right now, why there's going to be some – you know, delays and, and some, you know, radio silence uh, or something like that. So we'll see kind of uh, how all of it goes. Uh, but I wanted to say that, you know, I think Beamer's doing it the right way. I think there will be more info really, really soon uh, in terms of, uh, in terms of, um, you know, the staff. And I still feel really good about them putting together a tremendous staff at South Carolina, Shane Beamer and that group. So, you know, it's kind of crazy. The champions of life are back butch jones took the arkansas state job uh that's an interesting hire for them because they normally get the up-and-comer and and he normally leaves (laughs) blake anderson lasted longer than i thought he would uh, but he took utah state and now you know butch jones is back coaching a a football team uh, in arkansas state so the saving rehabilitation program certainly helped him uh quite a bit uh get back in the mix and you know get another job that you know, you can build on Arkansas State's a program that's uh, usually – they're usually pretty good, you know, and you can build from there and maybe get back to the big time. I don't know. You know, I don't know who would necessarily hire Butch Jones. Uh, I think that, you know, uh, I do know he has a connection to the Virginia Tech athletic director. And when he was at Tennessee, people were talking about hiring him because uh, the athletic director was at Cincinnati when Butch was there. You know, so maybe if the, if they hold on to Fuente – which I don't know that they will. Uh, They could uh, end up going back on Butch if he has a good year at Arkansas State. But who knows uh, With the Hokies did. hear some Hokies names today. Uh, Tony Elliott is obviously a name that was reiterated to me. Uh, You know, as far as that goes, uh, you know, they, uh, I wouldn't be shocked to see Tony Elliott really emerge for that job. And also here he may be interviewing at Vandy. Uh, So Tony Elliott, at Vandy, boy, if, if I'm Tony Elliott, I take the Vanderbilt job. I'm asking for five, six, seven years, about four or five million. <laughs> and uh, I'm getting paid because that thing's a difficult, difficult deal. Um, you know, I talked about Auburn earlier and Gus Malzahn, they finally fired him. I think one of the most surprising things in college football is that he has not been fired yet, but he always seemed to kind of turn it at the right time, especially in 2017. You know, Auburn – for about a month, was the best team in the country. Uh, They beat down Georgia and beat down Alabama. Uh, And then they go to the SEC title game and and replay the game against Georgia. And Georgia got the best of them. Auburn had some injuries that did not allow them to move the football. Uh, And then they lost to UCF. And it's just been angst and consternation ever since. I mean, those guys, it's always a love-hate relationship. Even though he beats Bama, they got a two-game winning streak at home against Alabama right now and he's beaten Bama more than just about anybody in the country in the league. But, uh, you know, I think that, uh, I think that, you know, when you look at it, that probably wasn't enough at the end of the day. And so what's Auburn going to do that, that, that does have kind of an impact on Carolina when you're talking about SEC schools, putting together coaching staffs and things like that, you know, you do have some competition when another job's open. Um, I, I, hear they're going to probably promote Kevin Steele. Um, and, uh, that's from really good sources. And, you know, I don't want to say I'll believe it when I see it, because I do believe he's probably the leader in the clubhouse right now. Uh, but the Auburn people that are really inside at Auburn, you know, they don't think Hugh Freeze is coming. You know, they don't know that Mario they don't think Mario Cristobal is getting that job. They think they're going to promote Kevin Steele. Um, and, uh, Look, Kevin Steele's been kind of a, a journey man uh, who's done really well as a coordinator. He's a lot better coordinator than he was probably when he was at Clemson, uh, giving up those 70 points in the Orange Bowl. Uh, he's a guy that's, you know, worked for Saban, worked at LSU, worked at Auburn, um, was a head coach at one point at Baylor. It did not go well at all. But, you know, at Orgeron, it didn't go well for him, you know, at Ole Miss and, he circles back around and he gets the Auburn job – I mean, the LSU job and wins a national championship. So, depending on kind of what the plan is, you, you can see a Kevin Steele tenure at Auburn working. It's it's going to be met with a lot of skepticism. But, you know, if you look at their hiring pattern down there, you know, so they got rid of Tuberville and then they go through and then there's some big names that were talked about, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and then they ended up with Gene Chiswick, 5-19 and record at Iowa State. They win it all. Two years later, he goes winless in the SEC. He's fired, uh, and they have some other names they're looking at. And then they go and just pluck Gus Malzahn, who had left the year before as the OC, to come back. So there's a there's a pattern of them hiring former assistants or assistants or guys that have connections to the program down at Auburn. Which you know, if you think about it in those terms, it should be less surprising. But you know, what is surprising is, and the narrative is going to be nationally that. You, you spent 21 million to get Gus on out and you weren't, you know, you just promoted Kevin Steele, you know, and, and, and so on its surface, it may not make sense, but um, you know, that's an, that's an opening to pay attention to because, you know, Carolina obviously is building a staff, trying to get some hires made South Carolina and Auburn recruit a lot of the same guys. Um, that's a school that while they don't play a whole lot, Carolina and Auburn, they uh, you know, they do go up against each other in recruiting a lot. Uh, and that type of thing and certainly when you're talking about assistant coaches and, and things of that nature you know you usually uh you know you, you don't want a bunch of competition in a bunch of great places and Auburn is a great place I mean don't get me wrong it's a good desirable place to go coach um you know to a certain extent <laughs> I, I think sometimes the the you know you're kind of living on the edge when, when you're down there um but you know Gus made it a long time and uh We'll see kind of what they do down there, but this is not the Inside the Auburn podcast. This is the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. You know, uh, Carolina's players returned to campus today to get ready for a bowl game. Uh, I don't know what Florida losing to LSU necessarily does in terms of will Florida still make a New Year's Six Bowl and all that, Uh, but I think that only bumps it down a notch, so maybe it makes the Gasparilla Bowl a little more realistic you know, maybe Birmingham for Carolina. There's been talk of the Gator and Liberty Bowl uh, out there, um, which would be bizarre. But, you know, the idea is this, folks. You know, people – I think some people are with the bowl situation. You know, it's a deal where, yeah, you get a payout for a school for going to a bowl, but that's to kind of cover your expenses. And then the bowl bowl money is pooled with uh, the rest of the conference. And and so that's why the SEC is kind of like – well, let's make sure if we can go to a bowl, we go, because you get the bowl money. Uh, And a lot of that's facilitated by TV. It used to be bowl games. uh, That's why bowl games these days, you'll see some weird matchups, and you're like, well, they could have taken Team B, uh, a 30-minute drive from their campus, and and filled it up, but but they took Team X from across the country, and there's nobody there. That's because TV kind of controls the whole thing. A lot of these bowls are owned by ESPN. It's a good investment because – if you look at like college football bowl games, they are, they have higher ratings than regular season college basketball games, no matter who they are, they could be group of five teams or whatever. Uh, it's, it's easy, awesome programming over Christmas, uh, for an ESPN. And, you know, it's every day of the week, uh, there's a college football game on and, uh, that's, that's big time programming for them. And, you know, they need programming because of the pandemic and all that good stuff. So that's why, there's this push for bowls. I mean, it, you know, just the reality of it is it's TV. If this were the eighties and it depended on people coming in and buying tickets and filling hotel rooms and all that uh, in terms of the money, the actual bottom line uh, I think we'd see many more canceled uh, than what we have. But uh, that's what it is. It's a made for TV event these days, the bowl games. Uh, And so we'll see what Carolina ends up doing there, but they're going to practice and, uh, I think we'll have a pretty clear picture uh, in terms of what type of team they may field uh, by who comes back and who's there, who's opting in, who's opting out, uh, probably here in the next couple of days. So that will be very, very interesting to see what, uh, what in the world happens uh, with the bowl game. I know some people don't want to go. They think they should turn it down. I know some people are all for it. Um, here's where I stand on that. And look, I don't, I don't think there's a wrong answer with the bowl game. I really, really don't. Like, like my colleague Tony, uh, he put out on the site that he didn't think it was a good idea that you're just setting yourself up for disaster and all that. I, I think those are valid concerns. And, and I'm not, you know, sometimes there's different levels of disagreement. You know, <laughs> sometimes I'm pretty militant if I if I agree with something strongly. I, I don't think those people that say that are necessarily wrong. But but here here's my thing. About Carolina and, and a bowl game and all that. Okay, so South Carolina has been to 23 bowl games uh, in 130 years of football, approximately. <laughs> That's not a huge number. It's a bigger number than it was. We all remember that uh, before the Carquest Bowl in 1990, that number was at eight. So that kind of shows you that the trajectory of the program has been good since 2000. Um. You know, and, and I think it's important to play in the in the postseason. I think that we talk about the trophy case a lot. So if you win, you get a trophy. That's a good thing. Um, and, it, you know, it's a situation where, you know, what I was told behind the scenes is South Carolina's not in a position to be turning down bowl games. And, I, you know, I tend to lean that way just because of the history of the program, just because things have not been good. Uh, I'm not saying that a 2-8 and eight team deserves it. But you know there have been two teams that finished two and six in the league uh, that win all their non-conference games and go six and six and get in, or in some cases like Mississippi State a couple of years ago, I think they were five and seven overall, two and six uh, in the league, and they got in and won. I think that was what we call the Gasparilla Bowl. Now they went down there and won a game against I think Miami of Ohio. But you know, so 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 that's the thing. You got to look at it in terms of this year and the all SEC schedule. I think number two, when you talk about deserving to be in and you talk about this particular season, the fact that South Carolina played its schedule um, to me, that's worth a reward, you know, and Carolina, and Kentucky were the only two schools that got through it um, without any postponements or, or reschedules or anything like that. Um, so, so the Gamecocks did a good job with the COVID situation uh, sort of avoiding that now they're toward the end. You know, had that happened in October, we may have seen some postponements. But that wasn't the case, and and the Gamecocks finished up. Uh, And sometimes when you're in a situation like that, the very fact that you go and play, (laughs) uh, I think hats off uh, to them for that because it it was certainly one of those things where a lot of teams did not get their full schedule of games in, even in the SEC. You know, number three, just from a fan's perspective, You know, there's 365 days out of the year. Um, Most years you're looking at 12 college football, Gamecock college football Saturdays guaranteed, Um, 13 if you go to a bowl. This year there was only 10. And, uh, you know, so I think any time you can get Gamecock football, uh, you want it. You know, win or lose, no matter how undermanned you are or or whatever, I think that, you know, you want to see that team put on the garnet and black and go out there and compete. Uh, And then from a player standpoint, you know, football, and I've said this many times, it's not like basketball, you know. Uh, Like my friend Mike Morgan, he still plays, you know, community basketball on a team. Uh, He's, you know, in his 40s. There's church league basketball for for old guys like me. You you can go play baseball somewhat if you're on a softball team, you know, uh, and those get heated. (laughs) Like Church league softball games get really crazy sometimes. Um, you know, you can go play golf, you can play tennis for the rest of your life. Uh, you can go, you know, kick the soccer ball around, you know, pick up games of soccer happen. There's no pickup games of football, unless you're one of these crazy idiots to play tackle football without the pads on or play rugby or something like that when you get older. Uh, and even that, that's not the same thing as putting the pads on and going to play. You only get so many chances in life to put on the pads and, and the helmet and go actually play the game of football. We, we spend, you know, 95% of the year talking about it and talking about roster and, you know, recruiting and coaches and personnel and things of that nature. But there's really, you know, a, a finite number of opportunities that people have to go actually play and keep score and play the game. You know, so for that reason, you know, I think every chance you get is precious. I mean, I, I still, uh with my little football career, I still have dreams of putting the pads on again. You know, it's a weird thing. My dad told me that when I was a kid. You always remember this. And so for that reason, I think the game's special and any t- chance you get to go play the game uh, is special. Now, I like I said, I understand the arguments against, um, especially when you, when you talk about, like, what kind of team Carolina's going to be fielding. Um, you know, Gamecocks were not what we would call competitive the last two games of the season. You know, who knows who will opt out and who will play. Uh, it's going to be a challenge, but I do think that, you know, other teams also have challenges uh, that they face with COVID and opt-outs and all that. And so it may be that they're on an even playing field. I don't know, you know, and I know with the results down the stretch, a lot of people like just get it over, please, you know, and, and that's understandable too with a new coach coming in and all that. Um Speaking of the new coach, I think, you know, having, depending on when the bowl is, you know, and even if it's the Gasparilla bowl, and the Gamecocks are, you know, next week going into game preparation for a game on the 26th, you know, that still gives Shane an opportunity to come in and watch practice, watch the personnel, see how the coaches operate, see how the players respond, you know, and that starts an evaluation process that, you know, it gets you a kick start on it, you know, for the spring. Um, you don't have to wait until the spring to see your guys out there actually playing. Uh, and I think that's beneficial to him. Uh, because, you know, you you do want to know your personnel. You can watch the games all you want, but until you see him practice and you're around the guys, it's really hard to get to know your players. Uh, And I think it's also an opportunity for the players to sort of get to know him, not from a coaching standpoint, but from the fact he'll be around uh, and the players can get to know him uh, and all that good stuff. If it weren't for the bowl game, these players would just be going home for Christmas uh, and wouldn't be back until January. And, And I think that that's a good opportunity uh, for both sides to kind of get to know one another um so that's why I'm pro bowl now look like I said those of you out there that don't think they should play but don't want to watch this team play again I I totally get that um and uh you know all right so we got some breaking Vanderbilt news uh Clark Lee the defensive coordinator at Notre Dame who's a Vandy alum has been offered the job uh according to Bruce Feldman so that's that's a that's a hire that makes sense for them just from the standpoint of he played there he's a Vandy guy through and through uh, kind of one of those rising stars in coaching young young guy um, so we'll see if uh, Clark Lee ends up being the next coach at Vandy uh, you know and there were some there were some good names in the mix for that gig uh, but Clark Lee according to Feldman was the number one guy all along I kind of felt that too I didn't know if he would take it or not and according to this report he has not yet accepted but he's been offered the job so we'll see kind of how that uh plays out that's an sec east team the gamecocks have to play every year so you do have to keep up with it even though it is vandy and carolina's on a heck of a winning streak against those guys right now and no i wasn't trying to jinx anybody that game's at williams bryce next year it's a game carolina should definitely win um so we'll see you know and I, and I had a video out on our the big spurs youtube channel over the weekend check that out if uh, you haven't hit subscribe to the YouTube channel. It's free, Uh, but just go on YouTube, hit subscribe. And uh, I put a little video out about the different opportunities, and and I didn't include the Liberty Bowl, but somebody projected that for the Gamecocks, uh, a trip to Memphis, um, you know, in their latest projection. So you include that. But I I think Gasparilla in Tampa the day after Christmas, uh, armed forces in Fort Worth, which is uh you know a new tie in this year they, they they the Las Vegas Bowl got canceled and so they replaced it with the Armed Forces Bowl out in Fort Worth. You know that's a possibility. That's at noon on New Year's Eve. Uh the Gator Bowl is at noon on January 2nd. Uh and then the Birmingham Bowl is at noon on New Year's Day. I don't know how that became a New Year's Day bowl game. You know, I just uh I, I just don't uh yeah, I don't know how that finagled its way into the lineup on New Year's Day, but it is. And so uh, that's an opportunity too. And then, of course, the Liberty Bowl was the, the next one. So those five, my guess is it's going to be Birmingham, Tampa, maybe Jacksonville. Uh, and I think Jacksonville will be pretty interesting, you know, quite frankly, in a year like this. I also think that with the SEC, and this is just speculation, this is not according to sources, because the SEC slots the bowls, okay, uh, it's not like it used to be where you know you 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 bid on bowls and you know you got the guy that comes around in the suit and ties the bull scout and he watches your team you still have bowl scouts but you know you're not cutting deals for tickets and things like that with the schools the SEC office decides where you're going to go um and we've kind of seen that cuz carolina in 2018 you know the gator bowl wanted carolina carolina wanted the gator bowl but uh they went with a&m cuz the league office said no Texas a and is going to the Gator Bowl. And so that's kind of how it happens. You know, Carolina went to Birmingham in 2016. They wanted Belt Bowl. Uh, Belt Bowl wanted the Gamecocks. But they said, no, you're going to Birmingham. So, so that's how it works. And I have a theory this year because it's so messed up, you know, with, you know, you, you got losing teams. You've got, you know, COVID. You've got all this stuff. And it's not going to be a normal bowl experience. I think they may just slot the teams once you get past because the Citrus Bowl does get the next pick. After the New Year's six. And so after the Citrus Bowl, you got the group of bowls and then you got the bowls at the lower end. I think that uh the league may just slot teams that are in the mix to the closest possible bowl game. Um, in, in other words, you, you could you're probably gonna see Kentucky or Tennessee in Nashville or Memphis. Uh you're probably gonna see Arkansas in Memphis or Fort Worth. Uh, You know, LSU is not going, Uh, you know, the Mississippi schools, obviously Ole Miss to the Liberty bowl would be something that makes sense. If Mississippi state goes, maybe they go to Birmingham, um, you know, for that bowl game, Uh, you know, Carolina may go to Tampa or Jacksonville. That's relatively close. Charlotte is not in the mix this year. Uh, They rotate it um, when they signed with the Las Vegas bowl. So like one, you know, like in, in, I guess even numbered years, the SEC plays the Pac-12 in the Vegas Bowl. In odd number of years, the SEC plays, I think, the ACC in the Belk Bowl in Charlotte. So they're not in the mix. So we'll see kind of how that rolls. Um, I don't know. You know, it's, uh, it's one of those things where I know opinions are mixed on the bowl game. And like I said, I don't think there's a wrong opinion on it. Uh, I'm just telling you why I think, you know, it's a positive thing if Carolina goes uh, to a bowl game. And, and look – you're going to be missing some personnel anyway, but but I'll tell you, you know, it, it's a good deal to get, get some of these guys game reps for next year. Game reps are invaluable, you know, because these days you don't practice, you don't scrimmage full speed a lot, you know, that kind of thing. Getting game reps is, is huge. I mean, think about a guy like Mohammed Kaba, a true freshman linebacker. You know, the linebackers are very depleted right now. He's gonna get a lot of lot of reps. You know, same with Eric Shaw. Um, you know, and, and those guys may not play all that well right now, but you know they're going to be better for it. Uh, and so that—that's kind of my take on that with the uh, with the bowl game type of situation. So we'll see ultimately what happens. It would not surprise me if it is the gas. I, like I, I'll, I'll put it this way: I would not be surprised if the Gasparilla Bowl. You know, given the, uh, you know, the, uh, I guess the 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 short week and all that next week, it would not surprise me if they went ahead and announced their uh their teams here, you know, and the SEC allowed them to do that. I would hope they would, because no matter who gets stuck playing in that bowl game, you know, you still want uh you still want the uh you know you you, you want them to you want to be fair, you know, and you don't want to give somebody four days to say, ah, here we go. All right, so uh, mailbag time. And to get to the mailbag, you got to tweet, too, at the Big Spur Pod. We have, we have none of those today, so you guys uh, need to tweet at me. Go follow at the Big Spur Pod. Uh, all right, so it does look like Clark Lee is going to get the Vandy job, um, according to uh, Yahoo Sports. So we'll see there. Expected to hire there. We'll get that tweeted out there from the podcast account. Also, you can follow us on Instagram at, at Inside the Gamecocks. Um Just put some stuff up there. You know, it's fun to follow Instagram, lots of pictures. You know, there's no there's no news, but there's lots of pictures. So do that. Also, like I mentioned, go hit like and subscribe on the Big Spur YouTube page. Going to have a lot, a lot of different kind of YouTube content coming up here in the new year. Uh, that's short, quick-hitting, different than than maybe what you get on the site uh, here moving forward. So be sure you check all that out. All right, first question comes in from Alex. JC, my man, wanted to get your opinion on Bobby Bentley. You mentioned how it would be a no-brainer to keep him for the new staff, but coaching what position? You think he could be in the mix for promotion to wide receivers, passing game coordinator, or even OC? One has to think with his pedigree, he'll eventually get a shot calling plays, be it here or somewhere else. Yeah, I I think so. I think you're right on the last part. The good thing about Bobby, Bobby can coach receivers, tight ends, running backs, quarterbacks. He could be the OC, passing game coordinator, whatever. Um, I I don't know if if he's going to be kept or not, but uh, I do feel like it's a no-brainer to keep him. But I've sort of, you know, the more I hear, the more I don't know that that's likely. Uh, But like I said, this this coaching stuff's been like Area 51, so I, I don't know. Um, and, you know, Bobby also could be a guy they move off the field. Uh, you know, he's he's got a lot of value in terms of, of being an analyst and helping with recruiting and, you know, knowing people and, and stuff like that. So there's value there. I, I personally think his biggest value is on the field. Uh, I'm not going to lie to you there. Uh, but then there, there's other options, too, to keep him kind of involved with the program and around. But, you know, with some of these jobs opening up, you know, Bobby Bentley could be heavily in the mix. Uh, for coordinator spots or or whatever. There could be a lot of jobs uh, that come open that, that Bobby could certainly fit in a prominent role. So we'll see. But, yeah, you're absolutely right. I think, you know, versatility, great offensive mind, great person, great recruiters, all that. So Kevin, 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 Kevin on the north side, says JC. We've heard the old Mark Twain line. There are three kinds of lies, lies, damn lies, and statistics. I don't think that's ever held more weight than when you're looking for a defensive coordinator. (laughs) Agreed there. I mean, I I said, I've said for a while, it's a bad year to be looking for a defensive coordinator because there's a lot of good ones out there that have given up a lot of yards and points with the way offenses today chew up yardage and scoreboards. I think it's a fool's errand to look at points or yardage and make a decision on how well a defensive coordinator has performed a better metric in my opinion would be turnovers tackles for loss and average starting field position for the offense. If the defense is providing those things and we get the type of dynamic offense Coach Bieber wants to have here, I think those numbers will be far more important. Am I off-base in this thinking? No, you're not. I'll say this, though. Beware of turnovers <laughs> because teams can force a lot of turnovers and be good at it, and then they go through a drive spell. And we saw that happen at South Carolina. Uh, the 2017 defense, was a, they, they were a turnover-forcing machine. Uh, and that's a, lot, a large part of why they won nine games. But you know you start counting on them, and then you're not getting them. And, and, and you know you got to be able to stop somebody. Uh, Heacock has been fantastic. Don't get me wrong, but Iowa State also tries to eat clock on offense. I don't think they shut down people nearly as much if they had an offense that's more fastball, fast strike mode. Um, I, I think you got so you got a good point there. They do try to eat clock. They got Brock Purdy and all that, but they can put points on the board, and they do get into some shootout type of games. I mean, they get into some games where they're 42, 41, that kind of thing. Um I've just been impressed because you know you don't really shut out teams in the big 12 too much, but they did. Um, and, and they've got guys that they recruited for their system. It's not like they've gone and recruited a bunch of four and five star guys uh, and they play it really well and and I think that when you're talking about being dynamic on both sides of the ball and that we're, we need to find a new word other than dynamic. Uh, Mike Morgan and I talk about that sometimes with JC and Morgan, by the way, we dropped a new episode on Friday. Um, I, uh, you know, I I think if you're different on defense, that's good. That's what I like about Heacock and Bateman both. Uh, But we'll see, we'll see kind of how that goes, but um, you're right about eating clock. And look, I'm not going to say South Carolina is going to go 900 miles an hour um, on offense, Uh, you know, next year. I don't care who the OC is. Uh, I think, what you're going to see is next season a ground-oriented attack that's run sort of differently. You know, like in Oklahoma, keep in mind, runs the ball 58% of the time. And South Carolina's got two really good running backs hopefully coming back. Um, and they got two more good ones behind them, you know. And so I, I think that's going to be able to – that's going to be a strength of this team is the running back room. Uh, And so I think even if they do spread it all out, you know, you're going to see a lot of runs uh, from the Gamecocks next year. That does eat clock. Now, if you're going really fast, sometimes it doesn't. Um, Anyway, Kevin says, enjoy the pod. Kevin on the north side, holla. (laughs) Looking forward to more episodes. I appreciate you, Kevin. Thank you so much. Uh, Joseph. JC, I've been a big listener to the podcast since you were with Keith big fan and like when you guys get the band back together with the Gamecocks playing a bowl game. Who calls the defense? Also, is it possible for any of the newly hired assistants to coach in the bowl? Thanks for all you do for us living in the upstate. Yeah. The upstate. um, I'm sure that Gamecock podcasts are very popular up there right now, (laughs) just to say, just to say, so not to say anything bad about anybody, but I'm sure that these are pretty popular and obviously the upstate is my home and anything I can do to, You know, help you guys. uh, I I definitely want to do because I, I kind of know what it's like growing up there. You know, in a lot of ways, uh, especially when you're talking about the media in the Upstate. But um, I, uh, the defense. You know, look. I I don't know. I would guess Mike Peterson, just because you know if you're if you're running the same system, you can't you can't install a whole new defense in in a week. I mean, that's just not going to happen. Peterson's been at Carolina five years. He was with Muschamp before that. I think he knows the system better than probably a Rod Wilson or Tracy Rocker who came on board this year. Um, Of course, Cal Krantz and T-Rob are gone. So I think that just leaves you with Mike Peterson. Um, And, look, I'm I'm curious to see how he dials it up because the guy played 14 years in the NFL. Uh, He was talked about being a quarterback on the field. Uh, for the teams he played for while he was there, smart guy, excellent coach, in my opinion. Uh, It'll be interesting to see him get a shot. I mean, I think that, you know, my expectations for the defense of the bowl game are not high um, just because of the way they've played uh, and the personnel issues they have. But I would think it would be Mike Peterson. I think that'd be the no brainer. Now, maybe not, maybe, maybe Rocker does it or, or Rod does it, but uh you know, when you're just talking about somebody that's familiar with the system, I would probably think Mike P would be that guy to call it. So that's uh that's my take on that. But uh we shall see. Now, as far as new assistants coaching in the bowl game, I you know they, they would probably almost have to be hired today. Uh, and then I don't, you know, if you're coaching up a position, I don't, I don't, I don't know how that works, you know, in terms of if they got a position, you know, <laughs> you're kind of like out there coaching it. But I mean, what what are you really teaching? Are you just taking them through individual drills? I, I don't know. So that would be a question that I would have. So that's uh, I would lean toward no. So and Alexa just picks me up. So <laughs> thank you, Alexa. Um, JC, I hope you had a great – this comes in from Mitchell. My man Mitchell is a frequent emailer. Again, inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com if you want to get in. JC, I hope you had a great weekend. Two questions for the podcast. With Gus Malzahn being let go, what first-year coach in the SEC next season at Auburn, Carolina, and Vanderbilt has the greatest chance of success early on? I think Auburn, because um, it's not like he's leaving as many roster holes behind as, as we got at South Carolina or, or Vanderbilt, obviously, he's got issues. So I would say Auburn. Speaking on coaches like Malzahn, I know there have been a lot of coaches in the past, like Clay Helton, Tom Herman, Manny Diaz, Scott Frost, Justin Fuente, and to some degree, Ed Orgeron, as well as many more, have been constantly on the hot seat, despite these, co- the fact these coaches have won New Year's Six Bowl games, gotten top ten recruiting classes, and been in conference championship games. In regards to these achievements, why are coaches like the ones I've mentioned always be considered on the hot seat besides achieving those success at their respective schools? It's literally like the AD saying, if you don't win a conference or national title, you're fired. Um, I'm going to dig in a little bit on that. Uh, you know, so with Clay Helton, that's, that's the best job in the Pac-12, and, and they should always be really, really good. And they, they, they may win the Pac-12 this year, so he's probably going to get another year. Uh, With Tom Herman, it's not that he hadn't been winning. It's been winning enough. I think Texas behind the scenes shot their shot with Urban Meyer. And, look, if you can't get Urban Meyer, just ride it out with Tom Herman. I mean, (laughs) Tom Herman's a really good coach. Uh, And so that's that's the one that's going to happen. Manny Diaz kind of dug his own grave a little bit with uh, losing to FIU and Duke. And Louisiana Tech last year, you should never do that if you're Miami. Um, And it was unfortunate for them what happened against North Carolina this past weekend. North Carolina, they just couldn't stop the run. He's supposed to be a defensive guy. That was bad. Scott Frost, you know, has not won at Nebraska like like he would. And I I don't think they're going to get rid of him this year. Uh, Nebraska, I think, realizes they can't keep changing coaches. But something something's just askew. Um, and and the Big Ten schools, really, of, of all the schools, probably have the pandemic, you know, card to play just because they weren't supposed to have a season. Then they were. And then every time you turn around, a game's getting canceled. I mean, it's just a brutal deal in the Big Ten this year. Although, Lovey Smith did resign at Illinois or get fired at Illinois. But, you know, I, with, with Frost, you know, all that he's done was at UCF. It wasn't at his alma mater, Nebraska. But he's a horn Oscar and I think I think they're going to keep him and give him every chance possible. With Ed Orgeron, uh, you know, it was seen as kind of a, an emergency hire, you know, when Herman turned them down. Um, And, you know, he had the home loss to Troy. And then gradually he started seeing it turn. And then the Joe Brady year, obviously they were the best team in football. And then I think this year it's been a struggle. But, but things like going and, and beating Florida on the road this past weekend – Really help him. Um, I think that if something gets Ed on, it's going to be the off-the-field stuff uh, and because that's not a good look, and it just continues to kind of – more and more continues to leak out. So that's the deal. Um, even though I'm a big college and Gamecock fan, I do prefer the NFL more and more because one of the main reasons is besides the Cleveland Browns, franchises in the league give their coaches time to achieve success compared to college programs. Even though it would be nice for Texas Southern Cal Miami to do well, I'm not a fan of putting Herman, Helton, and Diaz on the hot seat every single year because if you keep recycling coaches, these programs will never be able to achieve the great success, the great success that they previously have had. Thanks for all you do, Mitchell. Yeah, I'm with you there, especially with Herman. You know, Diaz, you know, I don't know. There's just some things at Miami that don't need to happen, that continue to do. Uh it's been a better year this year, not a great year. Um, and, and that North Carolina loss really hurts him with with Clay Helton. I think I think maybe he's on to something with Graham Harrell as the OC. You know, they've been winning a lot more. Um, they're throwing it all over the field, air raiding it out, which is what you could do at Southern Cal. When we have a full season next, I think is when he'll be judged. Uh, you know, and that's probably 2021. I think that's the big year for Clay Helton. He's very well liked. At Southern Cal, like the powers that be, really like him. Uh, I've heard another of them are good things about the guy as a coach. I know some people that know him, and so uh, it'll be good for him to to uh, to have success in the, in the face of the haters, <laughs> and there are many. Um, but uh, you know, I, as to your overall point, I agree. You can't put your coach on the hot seat every single year because it ends up affecting recruiting. Now, some of these places recruit themselves. But, but it gets to a situation where, okay, yeah, you've got a top five, top ten recruiting class, but there's three guys out there that are big-time difference makers that could literally help change your program in one or two years, and they go to Alabama or they go to, you know, Texas A&M or, or they go someplace else that has some more stability. Um, so you're absolutely right about that, Mitchell, in, in terms of the uh, constant – the perpetual hot seat, which – we don't have that at South Carolina, you know. Muschamp got on the hot seat about the time he should have gotten on the hot seat. So that's a good deal for the Gamecocks. All right, so that's all the time we have today on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Be sure to keep uh, liking the podcast, rated five stars, write a little review. Didn't quite get to our goal of a thousand reviews by the end of the season, but hey, if they go to a bowl, the season's not over yet. You can give me a Christmas gift if you go to Apple Pods, Apple Podcast, and just. Like it, rate it five stars. That helps us in a lot of ways. This is J.C. Sherbert. This has been Inside the Gamecocks. Talk to you tomorrow, Gamecock Nation.